Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Captain John Picard of the USS Commander Benjamin Sisko, the Federation Starfleet, Deep Space Nine. Welcome to the greatest generation, Deep Space Nine. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast. I'm one of those guys. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Very stressful beginning to today's episode when we realized <laughs> during pre-production that this was a Quark's Bar episode. By pre-production, you mean we were like opening up the web pages we typically have open. Yeah, that's what I mean. <laughs> we don't that's actually accurate. do anything to get ready for this. <laughs> and you came up with a exciting and dangerous idea. Ben, yes. because you and I have had two bottles of wine on our desk for a while now. This is Chateau de Soto wine uh, given to us by a viewer. Yeah, Cording Hill Vineyard sent us this. It's a beautiful, beautiful red wine. It's got the likeness of Robert de Soto on the label. Actually kind of fitting because Robert de Soto gets a name check in this episode. Great call. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're drinking it for him, and uh, <laughs> I I feel like we're going to Romeo and Juliet ourselves here, Ben. Like, I, I think... You think we're going to get dead? <laughs> we don't have a hard and fast policy on consumables on the show. Consumables given to us by viewers. I feel like this is as dangerous as it gets for a podcaster this moment. Somebody, somebody bottled their own wine. But this is like a real vineyard. <laughs> like... <laughs> They're not going to give out the name of their real-ass vineyard and then poison the wine. <laughs> Forgive me for looking at the label Chateau de Soto and thinking something may be wrong with the contents. <laughs> I, I just don't think, like, like from a Columbo standpoint, it's like the dumbest crime possible. <laughs> it's true. It's true. So should we expire during today's episode, uh, the, the first suspect... <laughs> should be those at the Cording Hill Vineyard, uh, those specifically in charge of the 2016 Pinot Noir Barrel Blend line. <laughs> uh, yeah. There you go. I love that this show has yielded a bottling of Chateau Shimoda and now a bottling of Chateau de Soto. I've got to tell you, Ben, something incredibly embarrassing happened moments ago. I, w oh, yeah? I, I ran upstairs... I wanted to give this wine the the attention it deserved by by pouring it into a vessel for uh, for aeration. Oh wow, you've decanted! Amazing. I'm I'm just I'm just uncorking right now. You're just gonna take yours to the dome, and I couldn't find the bottle opener. Meanwhile, my wife is on like important work calls all day. I had to interrupt her. It's three in the afternoon. I had to interrupt her on an important work call to ask where the wine opener was. I feel very bad about that. Mm. There is a, like, when our wives started having to work from home also because of quarantine, the reveal of what goes on during the day. It's not just that it's embarrassing, I guess I should say, because it is, but it's also, like, kind of a twist of the knife to... People it is. To do serious shit. It's not that we're doing this at them, but it can feel that way sometimes, and it's a natural yeah. feeling. Uh, I, I would prefer that this that the awful truth of our 
production remained hidden. Mm-hmm. I'm putting the glass to my nose, mm-hmm. as you do with a with a glass of red wine. Doesn't smell like poison. No, it's got uh, it's got nice stone fruit, kind of spicy notes. I'm getting a note of of game room here. <laughs> Maybe a little bit of the uh, the red plastic cup of a of a of a pizza place. <laughs> uh, cheers to you, Ben. Cheers. Ooh, I like. Num num num. Oh, that is that is really good. This is very good wine. Uh, I wish I could remember the name of uh, of the person that sent this, but thank thank you, person. This is the drawback of having so many uh, generous viewers: is that yeah. uh, you have a and bottle on your desk for a couple of years and <laughs> you lose the name. But uh, whoever you are, thanks. We had a, a spreadsheet for our wedding to keep track of, like, who we needed to send thank you notes to. That's the right thing and stuff. to do. And uh, that was, like, I mean, we got married more than five years ago, and my mom recently asked how much a friend of hers had given us as a wedding present. <laughs> so what that a weird she could, question. Like, I, th- I think the idea being that she could then give a similar amount to that person's kid. At, in honor of a, another wedding, but uh, God, I was like, is... "Oh yeah, I actually have that information. I like know exactly what they gave us." I hate that it's like that. <laughs> you know, it's not good that things be like they are, but they do. I am enjoying this wine very much, Ben. Uh, this I was am, a good idea by you. I am really glad we are tucking into some Chateau de Soto, and I'm really glad we're tucking into a very interesting episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Do you want to get into this bad boy, Adam? Sure do, Ben. It's Deep Space Nine, Season 7, Episode 6, Treachery, Faith, and the Great River. Do you realize how incredible this is? (laughs) No, of course you don't. Treachery, Faith, and the Great River. A title I have a problem with from a couple of angles. One, I am a great believer in the uh, series comma. Uh-huh. And I don't like this title for not having that. And uh, also, this is a two-line title. When it appears on screen, we get a we get a carriage return into the second line. And it's just <laughs> like, it's too big. So my, I have different problems with this than you. I see commas in the listing here on my streaming service, but no spaces after the commas. So it's treachery, comma, no space, faith, comma, no space, and the great river. <laughs> what the hell? This is, the, uh, this is a sort of hard-hitting Star Trek criticism our viewers have come to expect from the greatest generation. Yeah, we. Uh, this is why we're the number one Star Trek podcast. We, we pulled no punches when it comes to junk happening at the streaming services. Copy editors hate them, says the <laughs> ad at the bottom of the internet page. <laughs> our, our tabula ad? Yeah. <laughs> This is a fun bit of uh, of revealing happening here. Fun and also awful if you're someone who uh, who keeps a candle lit for one Colonel Kira. Uh, we see we see a a face in a form of ecstasy. Yeah. We see a mystery person behind her. It's Odo. The Mr. Bucket. Hey, 
This is the Odo massage we've been waiting for, though. You mean a sensual massage? It really is. This is a magic trick we knew to be foundational to their relationship. <laughs> I like that turn of phrase, Adam. Yeah. Um, the using the gold to cover a large swath of back. I have like carpal tunnel or something. Like my thumb and forefinger in my right hand are constantly giving me problems. This is why you turn me down every time I ask for a, a back rub from you? Yeah, exactly. I, I'm just worn out in, in all the wrong places. But, uh, but Kira's really, she has really got this sorted out for the rest of her life if she wants it, right? I mean, <laughs> I'll never get tired. <laughs> <laughs> I have to revert to my liquid state for eight hours a day. But aside from that, I'm perfectly happy to spend the remaining 16 hours massaging you. There is implied nudity here in in the moment that, you know, Kira sits up and she's using a blanket to cover herself. How crazy would it have been if there was like a giant back tattoo that we hadn't known about? <laughs> Like, like resistance, uh, like military resistance back tattoo on Major Kira. <laughs> like a dragon with a Cardassian skeleton in its claws or something. Yeah. That would have been badass, right? Or like, oh, or man. some sort of like memorial to her dead friends. I would have liked and that. I feel like the show has over, over the seasons really put in an effort to soften her up. And I know that's a part of her character's growth. Like when she arrived on the station at first, she was like loaded for bear and and ready to fight all the time. And, and we're supposed to see this as like as positive growth. But I think it's okay to call that stuff back. And by that, I mean, literally yeah. called back. <laughs> like back piece style. Hello, back calling. <laughs> Remember Kira's past? Hello, back phone. That's a, a an interesting utility of a tattoo, and I can't think of a time when I've seen a tattoo used like that in a television show, but I really like that idea. Is it the tattoo? Because mine's bigger. <sighs> Not big enough. It's crazy that we've wanted a scene like this for so long, showing the sexual utility of an Odo, and we get, like, two of the same effect scenes cut together here. Like, yeah. there's no, uh, there's there's no, uh, keep it above the waist, Odo. <laughs> like, as the liquid becomes less viscous, and, like, there's definitely some reaching around happening. <laughs> yeah, he doesn't gold an accommodator onto his face. <laughs> Take a dive. Uh, on the promenade, things are really looking fucked up. The chief... I am Chief Miles Edward O'Brien. This is fucking spectacular. Was doing some kind of major maintenance overhaul on promenade systems, and there is just a jungle of cables and hoses and wires draped all over the place it's it's got the promenade shut down and a certain bar proprietor is rip shit that the promenade is not open to the public at the moment now when you're doing maintenance on your promenade one of the new materials that i like to use is pex tubing <laughs> 
Here you'll notice Chief O'Brien is using 400 meters of PEX tubing <laughs> strewn about. You'll remember last season we were doing a job and a lot of the copper that we requisitioned to redo the piping was stolen and PEX tubing <laughs> bears none of those, those kinds of risks. Here's the thing, a scene like this is tells you one thing, but it's it's also telling you another unintentional thing, which is on the one hand, for the former, Chief O'Brien's very busy. Yeah. But on the other hand, he is not organized. And this shit looks like a terrible job site. Yeah. He's definitely got like hoarder kind of job site cleanliness vibes. Like <laughs> How kick ass would it have been if all of his tubing were aligned and not knotted? Like it yeah. would have been impressive. Yeah. Versus versus slapdash if we're on the promenade and holy shit, it is really getting work done and it's 40 totally aligned different colored tubes. It was just a post on r slash networking porn. Right. Yeah. See all his cat five cables nicely bundled. But this is not an episode about Chief O'Brien's ability. This is actually about his inability to rise to the level of his work statement. This this episode is very unkind to him as a character. I feel like you could have excused this with just a little bit of dialogue of like, this all just got blown out and it's an mm -hmm. emergency and we're trying to figure out what's going on. Leave me alone, Quark. Not, right. I'm, I've been working on this for days and it looks chaotic because I suck at my job. I mean, once you've been in a mine prison for 40 years, I, I kind of feel like you don't you don't have a capacity for workplace stress anymore. Yeah. Like, it's all gravy after that, right? <laughs> yeah. So he doesn't really have the, like, pride of workmanship stuff anymore. He's just like, let's just get this shit done. It's not just that the promenade's being ripped up for maintenance. It's that Captain Sisko's crawling up his ass about this gravity problem on the little D. Now, I'm leaving for Bajor for a conference, and I want that stabilizer replaced by the time I get back. I can get the part from Bristol. It'll take two weeks. Here's your pomade. Cisco is really hammering him here. And yeah. it's actually, it's a nog to the rescue. I can get you that stabilizer, Chief. In three days? Leave everything to me. I know that Chief O'Brien is nominally like the head of station maintenance or whatever. And that nog is working under him in that capacity but nog outranks chief o'brien and i feel like this episode so a little bit up. forgets about that yeah they should have erected a statue of nog at the end of that episode of uh, lower decks <laughs> so there is th whatever this issue on the promenade happening and then also the gravity generators on the little d are fucked up and Cisco's like, I'm getting an itchy trigger finger. I want to go kill some Jem'Hadars. You got to get my ship back up and running. Do you know how difficult it is to suck soup out of a thermos when uh, <laughs> when we've got 2x gravity on the bridge? It's fucking impossible, O'Brien. Yeah, it, it really slams into the back of your throat when you tip the, <laughs> the thermos up. <laughs> that's, some, that's some lethal minestrone right there. <laughs> I should have opted for a thermos that didn't have rifling in the uh, in the opening. <laughs> I feel like uh, I'm fortunate enough to own one of those uh, Zoharishi uh, coffee containers that keeps your your hot beverage hot for like 48 hours. Wow! I feel like if any company were going to come up with a rifled 
<laughs> coffee or soup container would be them. Yeah. That seems like that seems like their way. You don't realize you need it until you have it. Then you can't do without it. Yeah, you can never go back. That's the that's the downside. It's like when I got my Pebble ice machine, every other kind of ice it, it now seems disappointing and bad. <laughs> that's because all other ice is disappointing and bad. Yeah. Do you ever stick your pebbles into your hammer bag? I have not done that yet. You don't need to do that. That's the the pebble gets it done for you. The pebbles are pretty much pre-hammered. But uh, if you wanted to go for like a real fine, snowy kind of ice, yeah. uh, you could do that. Golden cotton. The cotton. Golden cotton. So. So Nog has just seen that blog, the red paper clip, <laughs> and has become obsessed with the idea of bartering his way towards getting the gravity tech that is needed on the little D because this is not an item that's in stock on yeah. Deep Space Nine. So he makes a commitment to O'Brien to get this thing. Meanwhile, Odo has taken a runabout to a Star Trek cave somewhere because he's gotten word that uh, one of his uh, one of his best contacts in the Cardassian military is not as dead as he had previously thought and might still be willing to filter information out to him. This is like a, a pretty interesting thing that they've implied about Odo several times that he like kind of maintains his own intelligence network that right. is separate from and perhaps perhaps just as capable as the Federation intelligence services. It's weird. Like when Odo arrives in the Star Trek caves, he looks a couple inches shorter and that's because when we cut back to Kira, she's sort of been left on the stove and his hands are still working that back. <laughs> yeah, so like there's a C storyline in this episode that we come back to a few times, which is just Kira getting more and more relaxed. Right. She's just insatiable. And uh, it's thanks to to Odo's David Cronenberg-like <laughs> hands being left behind. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> so uh it's not in fact this uh cardassian in the star trek cave waiting for him but wayun the way you rule with zeal the way you plot and scheme the way you clone yourself no, no, you creep the hell out of me. And Wei Yun is defecting. He wants to leave the Dominion and come be a servant to Odo. Wei Yun is the Captain Ramius of this episode, isn't he? Yeah, I guess so. The, <laughs> I guess that makes Odo the Alec Baldwin. I've always wanted to see Shishkoj. <laughs> the restaurant. <laughs> What's his plan? His plan? His plan. Russians don't take a dump, son. It's not a plan. Well, he kind of explains that he's leaving because he didn't do a good enough war. Like, the war was supposed to be over a long time ago. It's sort of a, I'm defecting because I suck at what I do. So, I'm getting out before they just, you know, put me out of my misery, basically. It would be like if Captain Ramius were defecting when it was really Sam Neill's fault. Like, it's not Wayun's fault. It's Damar's fault that that shit has fallen apart, right? Right. I mean, I would say that they kind of share 
a lot of the blame. But it does seem like Wayun is kind of there to oversee Damar, and so feels like the buck sort of stops with him in a certain way. It feels very squishy, the idea of Wayun trading information for asylum, and yet, you know, we're, we understand that Odo is going to take him back to be interrogated and imprisoned. Right. So I'm I'm a little bit unclear on what the benefit may be to a Wayun in this circumstance, you know? Like there is no there's no freedom for him ever. Yeah. I mean, but he is also a character who's been like genetically denied freedom for his entire existence, so Right. It may feel like a lateral move to go be a POW somewhere. And I think we get the sense throughout this episode just how much of in a mental prison a figure like Wayun is at all times. Yeah. Yeah, it's a very tragic thing when you hear what it, what life is like for the Vorta. Yeah. Uh, yeah, very sympathetic figures this episode. <laughs> So uh, we get a, uh, we get our title sequence and we come back. Meanwhile, I'm getting my second glass. You're probably on your third, right? You're, you're I'm right. actually still working on glass number one, but uh, shit, dog. Well, if I collapse, I'll be the I'll be the wine canary in our show coal mine. Sure. So Odo sort of agrees to to take Wayun back with him, and they beam up to the runabout. Odo goes for his communicator and he like, he's got a stump so he misses it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, sorry, Uh, I forgot. I left my hands in my other pants. (laughs) 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 Isn't there room for that kind of comedy in this show? Come on. (laughs) And uh, and then Wei-Yoon goes, Founder, let me hit your communicator for you. So they they start to head back, and the, you know, like peppered throughout this is all of the like Wayun trying to call Odo a god, and Odo pushing back really hard on that. But let's talk about what's going on with Chief and Nog. Oh, the other pepper, because <laughs> peppered throughout this episode is the idea of of this bartering needed to happen. Yeah, this the stabilizer is, um... bribery is in play, and unfortunately, like O'Brien's having to depend on Nog to make this happen. He doesn't have the bandwidth for this. I don't have time to form a relationship with Willoughby. I do. O'Brien's elbow deep in all of these repairs that he's doing. So Nog is uh, explaining like, okay, I've like worked this out. Like there's the local quartermaster. He's the guy that, you know, we requisition all these parts from. I'm like buttering him up on your behalf. We found out about the gravitational stabilizer part that we need. It's on the USS Sentinel. And I'm working out a NoJ consortium level plan for how to get access to this thing. You can't get a better stem bolt in the sector. And we have a hundred gross of them. It's a lot of stem bolts. If we can move yamak sauce in the volume that we can, we can get our hands on this stabilizer. But Nog needs one very critical thing from the chief. And this is like, this is one of those moments where you're just like, why doesn't Nog just order the chief to give him this thumbprint? Like, why is it a Nog begging the chief as though he is his superior? This is an episode that asks you to suspend your disbelief in a lot of areas. Ben, because I don't know if you are aware, but Deep Space Nine is a station that many 
Starfleet ships dock at for <laughs> rest and repair. Does it yeah. seem a little bit far-fetched to you that uh, that any part for a starship wouldn't be available there, <laughs> especially for the one that's stationed on the ship? Right. Yeah, there, there should be just like cargo bays full of this kind of stuff, right? It's insane. They're always repairing other ships. Always. That's kind of their job, right? Yeah. Back on the runabout, Odo and Wayun get a call from Damar and Wayun. And we come to find out that Wayun 5, who is the previous Wayun we've we've been dealing with, uh, was probably killed by Damar. And the defector Wayun is Wayun 6. And we're now on FaceTime with Wayun 7, who claims that uh, what we've got here is a defective defector. Damar is so fucking dumb because in this <laughs> in this scene he actually says that it's too complicated to hold this idea in his head because Damar for some reason can't count from five to seven. I actually have a theory about this, Adam. And uh, you, what do you think about this? I kind of think Damar is maybe drinking a little too much. <laughs> he does seem to have a problem. It's only implied, Adam, but. I personally think maybe Damar is uh, hitting the sauce a little hard. You know, if Damar just stopped and looked around, I think he'd see a lot of people that cared a great deal about him and yeah. would like him to get help today. It's like he keeps making the same choice and expecting a different result. And that's just so sad. <laughs> Cheers to you, buddy. <laughs> chin chin. <laughs> Wayun 7 wants Wayun 6 to prove his loyalty to the founders yeah and uh i mean there's only one way to do that when you're a vorta and that's eat a bullet and <laughs> and by and by bullet we learned that all vortas have a kind of cyanide capsule in their brainstem all you have to do is give the earlobe a little twist and that thing goes off I would have loved to see Counselor Troy advise a Vorta to do some plexing in order to uh, to take the edge off their anxiety. There's a nerve cluster just behind the carotid artery. It stimulates the part of the brain that releases natural endorphins. I have exactly the same note here. <laughs> it's that, uh, like, the, the term for a Vorta twisting his earlobe to death is doing Barkley. <laughs> <laughs> This this idea is like planted in this scene, but then paid off later when, when yeah. it actually is shown. And I would like my mind was fucking blown that it was a push button yeah. endeavor. Like like you could just reach out behind a Vorta's ear and ice them in one go. If you had an off switch, Doctor, would you not keep it secret? I mean, haven't we seen the way that Jem Hadar ships work is that you put a thing over your ears? With, uh, yeah, with like an that, like eyepiece. augmented reality headset. You got to be really careful putting a headset on if you're a Vorta, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I only do earbuds. No over-the-ear headphones. It's just it gives me the willies just to have anything touching back there. We took out an entire department when we went to Zoom-based <laughs> meetings <laughs> not too long ago. It was a bloodbath. <laughs> But a bond is starting to grow between Wayun 6 and Odo. You know, Odo tells Wayun 7 and Damar to push their own buttons and uh, and fuck off. And uh, 
Wayne Six super appreciates that. This is a really neat subtext that's introduced here. And it goes something like this, like Weyoun is different from the rest of the Vorda. He's seen as defective and broken. And he has that in common with Odo, who is also a part of a culture, also seen as separate and in his own way, broken. They have that in common. And they can talk about how hard it is to walk away from their people, which they have now both done. Right. So here's where the conflict is introduced. Weyoun is forbidding, I should say Weyoun 7 is forbidding the killing of a founder because Damar is like, let's just fucking blow up the runabout. What are we even waiting for? Damar is believing that Weyoun 6's death is the only thing that's going to stop military secrets from falling into Federation hands. And so those two corresponding ideas are in play here and this is where Wayun seven makes his faustian bargain this like well if if we tell some Jemadar to blow up the runabout and simply omit that a founder i.e odo was on board they will blow it up there that's what Jemadar do and the only people that will you know, be able to say that there was definitely a founder on board are us and we just won't tell anybody. <laughs> and and no sooner have they agreed to this arrangement that change leader walks in. <laughs> yeah. Remember to tell them to fire on sight. Fire at whom? And like, you never want to comment on someone's appearance, but uh, change leader's looking pretty rough. She's real wrinkled up and uh, she's able to kind of square that away when when they ask about it but um it seems it seems like she is under the weather and showing it through wrinkledness yeah this is a really good effect the the crossfade of wrinkled loaf to unwrinkled loaf that it worked really well the actor who plays change leader kind of drops her head suddenly and then when she picks it up she's she's smooth again it feels like an effortful moment you know yeah totally did you forget that Esri was on the show because i did but right before <laughs> right before we cut directly to her uh, kira is pissed because kira has discovered that the captain's desk is gone yeah this is another big suspension of disbelief moment for me because we're in a replicator society yeah. post scarcity yeah. and we're being asked to believe that not only is a gravity emitter not an easy thing to get on the station, but also if the captain's desk is removed from his office, there is no way to get one that looks exactly the same made right. and installed quickly. Also, it's you don't get the sense that this is the resolute desk, like a right. desk of, of a certain historical significance. It's like standard issue Cardassian station desk. I'm surprised Bajoran protesters haven't stormed Cisco's office and thrown his desk into space, given the fact that it was also fucking Guldukat's desk, you know? We learn that the desk has been loaned to Al Lorenzo, who has a penchant for taking pictures with famous desks. That's his thing. It seems a little uh, pervy to me. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's mentioned that he's uh, that he's taken such a picture with Captain DeSoto's desk. Yeah. Which I guess we could call the irresolute desk. <laughs> it's probably like a pizza parlor arcade table. If I was picturing honest. I was kind of picturing like a beer pong table that has like totally. a couple of pads sitting on it. It's a it's a poker table like with cup holders and like a padded <laughs> a padded rim. Yeah. Like why do you Captain DeSoto, this is a great office, but why do the chairs at your desk have cup holders and then the desk itself also have cup holders? Why does your desk have pockets? Pockets of pool table. (laughs) So uh, Nog explains this whole thing to the chief who is, you know, he's taking a break from a very stressful work week to hear Nog explain the Ferengi cosmology surrounding the river of material goods or something like that what's it called the great material continuum and and they like throw some some like star warsy kind of terminology into this that uh, i thought was very fun it's the force that binds the universe together i must have missed that class in engineering school but basically the idea is that there's like stuff that is unevenly distributed all over the universe and it is the great mission of the Ferengi to like make profit by selling stuff that is scarce one place from stuff that from a place that it is abundant. It's basically like the Ferengi's project is to earn profit by prosecuting entropy. Mm. (laughs) You know, I found myself kind of falling for this philosophy in a weird way. Wow. Like, Like we have everything we need on earth why mm-hmm. is it that it's distributed so unevenly like like if we could find a way to to interface with this material continuum in a way that helped everyone yeah uh, everyone well, I think that, no one would want for anything it sort of speaks to what we do here which is we found that there was a wanton lack of star trek fart jokes in the yeah. world right and we use the medium of internet to disseminate them to all of the people that don't have enough of them. As Nog tells O'Brien about this river, this great material continuum, O'Brien grabs for his kayaking shoulder. O'Brien, not a man that has a good relationship with rivers of any kind. <laughs> He's always trying to fight the river. Yeah. He's a guy that's trying to go upstream. Yeah. Another thing that is peppered in about uh, Ferengi in this scene is that they're taught this as Ferengi before they get their second set of ears. Yeah. Tell they like lose their ears, ears like you lose your teeth. Yeah. If you're a human. If you're an uh, a prepubescent Ferengi, do you does a parent tie an ear to a door a doorknob and then, <laughs> and then slam, slam the it to rip an ear out? It made me wonder, like, Nog was a pretty little kid when we first met him. Yeah. Did did he, he must have already had his second set of ears by then. Is there an ear fairy in Ferengi culture where you stick your baby ears under your pillow and you get, yeah, you get some slips of Yeah, but they probably try and, like, stab and eat the fairy when it comes to, <laughs> you know. I bet that's a, that's a Ferengi child's first trade for slips of latinum, you know? Oh, yeah. Come to Fort. 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 Come
On the runabout, we learn that Wayun is a loud sleeper. <laughs> He's been having nightmares about his future at Starfleet HQ. And if his nightmare didn't wake him up, the bangers that come would have, because we get bangers to commercial here. They're under right. attack. There is a tick trying to crawl up their ass. And this is one of those scenes that really shows off the season seven CG yeah. animation abilities of this show i really liked how dynamic the sequence was and how big the tick feels relative to the runabout i feel like being able to move the camera around a lot and move the ships relative to each other lets them like parallax the ships in a way that really gives a sense of scale right and it really feels scary until Wayun is like all right like all we got to do is pump the brakes get the runabout situated over top of the tick and uh, punch a hole right about here. When you hit the brakes, so fly right by. And suddenly ticks are not scary anymore. They are easy to kill. Yeah. This seems to be maybe the most valuable piece of intelligence we've ever seen on Deep Space Nine. And it is treated like, like it's trivial. It's nuts. Like the next time we see a space battle with ticks... I want yeah, to see. It's, why is it not referred to? We get another scene in this episode, Ben. Yeah. It doesn't I mean, matter like, that we get four against one. They know how to destroy them. But seriously, like the next time there's like, you know, one of those totally like slapdash Federation fleets of like 75 ships of 13 different designs right. heading into battle with ticks. I want to see them just like sticking and moving to get around over top of the ticks and just take them out with reckless abandon they could do a del sol car show parade drive <laughs> like with that with that class of ship and really do a lot of damage oh yeah the the del souls with the big weapon platform yeah it's big fun they would fuck shit up Wayun feels some feelings about this moment you know this is in many ways, kind of a point of no return. Yeah. It's been speculative up until this point what it would feel like to switch sides. But now, now he knows. And it doesn't feel good. Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the Garrick going slowly crazy over helping the Federation's war effort against the Cardassians. Wayun is kind of coping with the fact that, uh, that he is now abetting the enemy of his people. Right. Back on the station, O'Brien is looking for a Nog who is missing. And uh, in walking the station, confronts Rom, who, it's a fairly big revelation for me, is a mouth worker. <laughs> yeah. He's catching all kinds of flies with his open mouth. <laughs> Here's the shot in the chaser, Ben. Shot is, with Nog gone, at least nothing else will go missing. The chaser is the cargo bay shot with Martok's missing blood wine. Yeah, a lot of funny smash like we cuts. bang, bang. A lot of like, hey, remember Worf is also on this show? Right. <laughs> like, I feel like any character that's not in the A or B stories on this episode is like a... is It, it feels more like a walk-on cameo than anything else. Damar and Wayun are incredulous about the destruction of their tick. 
when change leader arrives this is the scene that you were referring to earlier she is a she's a raisin in the sun yeah and she does that thing that older people sometimes do when they come to visit immediately complain about the temperature <laughs> and uh Yun is all too happy to turn down the thermostat but from now on i want the temperature in these rooms lowered by 15 degrees i'm all for this but my wife would murder me if i turned the thermostat down 15 degrees that is a lot of degrees. It's a ton. I guess the question is what the system of me- weights and measures is on Cardassia. Because if we're talking about Celsius, that's crazy. Mm. And if we're talking about Fahrenheit, it's like still pretty major, but not as major. I don't understand. I mean, the Cardassians wear layer after layer of clothing. They still like it hot. Yeah. They're they're lizardy, you know? Like they probably they probably have cold blood. They got those scales. You know? After Change Leader leaves, Damar makes some pretty unfortunate comments about her appearance, <laughs> which uh, I would say definitely puts him in the crosshairs of Cardassian HR. Yeah. Especially when you're on the job talking that kind of shit about somebody that's like two rungs above you on the org chart. Not going to yeah. go over great. Yeah. Especially when, I mean, it's pretty clear no one likes change leader. You don't have to go on that, out on that kind of limb. <laughs> right. You can just make significant eye contact with Weiyun 7, and he will know what you're thinking, and nobody will right. get in trouble. The Vorta's sense of taste is quite limited. The Weiyun on the runabout, though, tells Odo a very interesting story. It's the Vorta origin story. You must know the story of how the founders created the Vorta. They were sort of Ewoks. And, uh, this, like, I really liked this moment because it felt very mythologized, like maybe it bears some gestural resemblance to the truth of what happened, but has sort of become this Genesis-like myth for the Vorda, and a story that he tells with this reverence that when you hear the, the origin myth of another religion it always sounds a little bit silly because it's just not the one that you grew up with, you know? I agree. There's, there is a vanity to one's own personal religion in play here, and there's an absurdity to Odo hearing about the origin story for the Vorda that I think you can understand contemporarily. Yeah. All religious origin stories are silly. <laughs> I think that's... I think that's what we're trying to say on The Greatest Generation. That's the moral of the story. The tea that's getting spilled here is quite abundant because we also find out about this blight that is messing with the founders, which is, you know, not just a political crisis for the Dominion, but a quasi-religious crisis for Weiyun. Like, it's it's part of why Weiyun 6 left, was he started to notice this thing that was happening to Change Leader, and it's happening apparently throughout the Great Link, and, uh, and if they can't cure it, all of the founders will die, except for Odo, who, because he hasn't been in contact with them, doesn't have it, and therefore is going to be the Kiefer Sutherland of the Dominion, where... It all becomes his if the rest of the founders die out. I really wonder how elastic this note card was in the writer's room with where and when this revelation was dropped. Because if we go back to the Star Trek cave after Odo 
meets Wayun for the first time, if Wayun's line is the founders are dying, and then we we cut the theme song, yeah, it works there too. I think it works in a lot of places. Yeah, I don't understand like the idea of Wayun six burying the lead here for dramatic effect. I think actually takes the strength out of this revelation a little bit. Because this is really the top line story for his existence right. right now. This is his motivation. It doesn't seem believable that he would keep this back. I mean, I don't mind that he kept it back, but I do find that this, like, I think that there's some stuff in this episode that strains credulity before this moment. But we get to this moment and, you know, then they're set upon by four Jamadar ships and... Everything after this moment feels like what could have been a great episode just falling flat on its face. Tell me how, Ben. Well, there is a very dumb and bad storyline about them going and hiding in some comet fragments in a Kuiper belt nearby where they're like freezing their asses off in the runabout inside this comet. We know runabouts have winter coats inside also. I know. At least one, if not more than one, depending on how badly you crash land it. Also, I could become a winter coat. <laughs> if I must. Yeah, and Oda was, the, was one of the winter coat usists in the winter coat episode, right? It's crazy to me. Also, just like the sh- the show, like losing its track of how space works, like they're inside. We this- cut to Kira being being massaged by Odo's severed hands, and they suddenly get very cold. <laughs> She's like, "Ooh, chilly!" <laughs> <laughs> they're like hunkered down in the cockpit of the runabout, and they start hearing bangs, and it's for other comet fragments far away being blown up by the Jem'Hadar, you wouldn't hear them. Like, that's not how space works. In space, no one can hear you scream. It is very cold in space. Star Trek definitely, like, goes and, you know, like, you can hear phaser fire in space and warp nacelles heating up in space and stuff. And that's, you know, a little bit of artistic license that they take. But it never like breaks the reality of characters being able to hear far away explosions through the vacuum. The one thing that I will give this scene and scenes related to it is that I like, like the way you were mentioning before during the battle scene, I like the different angles. I like the, I feel like the mass of things in the Kuiper belt looks pretty good and, and well realized. I think that's it's a it's a well executed episode that has a bad last act. Well, it's in the last act that Weiyun Six crunches his cyanide tooth during a FaceTime with Weiyun Seven and Tamar. Yeah, he does this to save Odo's life. What have you done? I've saved your life and the Dominions as well. This is, you know, the A and B story running in parallel, and it seems like the walls of the trash compactor are closing in on Chief Mm -hmm. O'Brien, and it seems like the Jem'Hadar are inevitably going to kill Odo and Weyun-6, and then Weyun-6 
kills himself and Nog has arranged all of the correct blood wine to go to all of the correct Klingon leaders and all of the correct gravity devices to be installed on the little D and all is well. Captain, your desk. Yes, looks nice, doesn't it? I came in this morning and found Ensign Nog polishing it. Everything's back in its right place again. It would have been nice if Wayun had just like recorded like, hey, before before you push the single push button on your suicide device, spend 15 minutes laying down just some audio for Federation intelligence about some stuff. Right. What, what do you think the, the best stuff you've got is? A couple of big takeaways are that uh, the Vorta are not side sleepers. <laughs> the sun-made change leader is emblematic of a bigger problem. Yeah. And Odo, in the end, the button on the episode is Odo tells Kira about his day. And knowing what he knows about the founder's disease, like he's sort of pre-alone, right? Like he was alone when we met him. Yeah. He, he feels alone he has felt alone throughout Deep Space Nine as being apart from the rest of the founders. And now he's looking at a future where being the last of his kind will make him utterly alone forever. He's sort of starting to realize that the Dominion War, more than anything else, is exactly like Alien versus Predator. Whichever side wins, one thing is certain. I'm going to lose. And he's sort of like, he he applies some dark eyeliner and he he darkens his clothing a bit. Have you ever seen the movie The Crow? <laughs> <laughs> Tragic backstory. Did you like this episode, Ben? Oh man. I liked so much of this episode. It's hard for me to it's hard for me to drag it, but I think that it just doesn't and and like I like that button too. Like I mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's the it's that last it's the it's the denouement that i don't like you don't like the captain's desk being back and martok having his blood wine being better than ever like you don't like the the tidiness i like that i thought that was fine it was the just kind of like yeah we got to solve this problem we got to like have them hear that they're in danger despite the vacuum of space and get out of there i think the story is more interesting if there's a Wayun 6 on our side and a Wayun 7 on their side, you know? Like, it doesn't raise the stakes. In fact, it probably lowers the stakes because it makes it easier for the protagonists to win. But also, like, give Jeffrey Combs more weird shit to do, you know? I was just going to say that. Like, we need to get Jeffrey Combs paid, I think, by having him in double the amount of episode time that, that we could do that. Yeah. If I were him, I'd be pissed. I would too. Um, you know, he's like earned his way ahead of even Nog as like a character that should be in the title crawl of the show. Right. And I just think that they kind of lost their nerve with the way they oriented this episode toward its conclusion. Mm. How about you? I mean, that was an incredibly articulate way to put it for <laughs> someone who's been pounding wine on a Thursday Somebody afternoon. who's halfway through a bottle of red. Are Adam and Ben going to finish a bottle of wine each on Thursday at, at 4 p.m.? God damn it. Sounds that way. <laughs> I need to move my car. I'm going to have to ask my wife to move my car because I got drunk at work. 
This is the problem with quarantining at home with a working spouse. Like, they know it all. Yeah. They know everything, Ben. Fucking sucks. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Why, why can't I just drink an entire bottle of wine with my podcast friend? <laughs> why do my actions have to have consequences? Why do I have to reap what I sow? Why do I have to read Priority One messages? Oh, shit. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Our first Priority One message is of a promotional nature. Goes like this. Friends of DeSoto, are you looking to start your own counterfeit currency ring? You need yarn to knit, crochet, and weave those scarves, and Old Rusted Chair is here to help. Hand-dyed in Nashville, Tennessee, Old Rusted Chair yarn has nothing to do with Star Trek and everything to do with your wanting to support the pod and write it off wow. as a business expense. Follow Old Rusted Chair on Instagram for yarn, cats, and the occasional Trek reference. Head to oldrustedchair.com and use the code SCARVES for free shipping. Damn. I'm on oldrustedchair.com right now. Beautiful website. Wow. Here's the thing. I'm going to look. Where's the, where's the camera? Uh, okay, I, I see a tally yeah. light. Old Rusted Chair has unlocked a thought technology that I think more people need to get with and that is this being a business expense yeah if you are a small business and you're looking to advertise to the literal tens of thousands of viewers of this show i don't think there's any greater value than a priority one message yeah you get a nice tax write-off and you're supporting two people that drink wine for a living Old rusted chair. This yarn is gorgeous. Um, it really is. Did I ever tell you about my uh, my couple of years doing video for a yarn magazine? For a, it was a it was a knitting magazine specifically. Yeah. It's called. Vogue, what was the name of the magazine? Vogue Knitting. And uh, you know you would uh, you would get this magazine, and there were you know thirty patterns for sweaters and hats and things in Mm -hmm. uh, any given issue and the kinds of sweaters that they were putting up as uh, patterns of things you could knit if you bought the magazine were like you're going to buy $200 worth of yarn and spend you know 80 hours knitting this thing so if it doesn't fit that good at the end of that you would be very disappointed so what they had me doing was like filming a some somebody coming in and like putting on a, a sweater that was knitted to the pattern of uh, the, that they had in the magazine and just like turning 360 degrees and like going in for little detail shots on some of the some of the different knitting techniques on evidence wow. in the sweaters and it really gave me an appreciation for uh, for this world this is a uh, this is a uh, this is gorgeous yarn. Like I I, I think they would really, really have loved this this yarn at the uh, at the magazine that I worked at. Definitely check out oldrustedchair.com and uh, use that offer code of scarves for free shipping. Yeah, and support a friend of DeSoto. That's super awesome. I like a promotional ad like that. Me really too. good job, guys. Nice name of company also. Yeah.
Good stuff. Ben, our second priority one message is of a personal nature. It's from Mike. Uh oh. You probably have guessed who it's for if it's from Mike. It's for Mock and Kristar Shrimp Colgar. <laughs> The message goes like this. The best days are the days when you look at your podcatcher app of choice and see that today's episode of The Greatest Generation or the hit podcast The Greatest Discovery or the hit podcast Friendly Fire is exactly 69 minutes long. Nice. Nice. That is a good day. I wonder... uh, Look, there are all kinds of metrics associated with the Uxbridge Shimoda family of products. Yeah. I really wonder how many episodes have been exactly 69 minutes. I don't know. We could still do it if we if we really hustle our way out of this episode, Adam. <laughs> oh, shit. You know what? That would really benefit you as its editor, <laughs> you fucking asshole. Yeah, let's wrap this one up early for Ben's benefit. Yeah, that would be great uh, for me personally. <laughs> you know who would also really love a shorter episode are those who bought Priority One messages for this episode. That's true. Uh, you can join them by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron, where personal messages are $100 and commercial messages are $200, both of which are a great way to support the greatest generation. We appreciate it. Gotta get that, get that gold press One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in handcrafted stuff all the time, and they send in their books, they send in paintings, they send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool, creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about Microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. (laughs) Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. 
But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org slash newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Adam. What's up, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I don't want to say this as a way to pimp your Shimoda, <laughs> but like it's got to be Weiyun 6, right? Wow. I mean, he's really going out on this limb. He goes to the Star Trek caves alone. Yeah. How did, he, how did he get there is a question I have. Sure. Who knows? Doesn't seem to have a ship. I think you are... I think you're kind of emboldened by the cyanide capsule in your brainstem if, if you're a Vorta, right? <laughs> you can kind of do whatever and know that no matter what, you can get out of the situation because you're a clone. Yeah. And you're just gonna you're just gonna crop up another time. I think that's kind of an ultimate Shimoda. If Jim Shimoda were in that episode, The Naked Now, yeah. and he were stacking his chips and, and he just crunched the capsule. <laughs> <laughs> and he started all over again in, in the next episode. I mean, that's the sort of abandon that Weiyun 6 is acting on. Yeah, that is... That's why he's my drunk Shimoda. That's a solid Shimoda, Adam. It doesn't have to be my Shimoda, though, because my Shimoda is Chief O'Brien. Hmm. Who's pulling things out of other things? It's Chief O'Brien. He's the one with the messy workspace. He's the one that is blowing in the wind that Nog shouts at him. The entire episode. He is a character with zero agency. He's the one dancing in the museum. <laughs> uh, yeah, Chief O'Brien is my drunk Shimoda. Dance in a museum like no one's watching. <laughs> That's the uh, needlepoint pillow for the greatest generation. <laughs> but as we wrap this episode up, we've got to figure out what we're watching next week and how we're going to do the episode, Ben. That is true, my friend. Uh, the next episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine happens to be episode seven of season seven. It's called Once More Unto the Breach. Jeez, come on, find a comma, guys. <laughs> Worst decision to send a legendary Klingon warrior back into battle could have deadly consequences. I have restarted communications with Kalis. <laughs> God, wouldn't that be great? I want this to be a Kalis episode. That would be cool. Um, 
All right, Ben. Well, we really got rocked the last episode on the Game of Buttholes, Will of the Prophets. Yeah, we we dropped over 40 squares on the on the game board and that is crazy to me right now we're on square 18 out ahead we've got a space butthole again that could drop us onto that'd be cool a his eyes uncovered square and uh, there's also a banger that i believe is in range so i'm gonna go ahead and roll this bone you're required to learn as you play roll yeah, let's go back down to square two on the game of buttholes. What the fuck? Let's hope that does not happen, my friend. Chula! Did I win? Hardly. Hey, we should agree that no matter what, the season, the series finale for Deep Space Nine should be a Morn Hammered episode. I agree with that. I mean, I'm drunk right now, so I probably won't remember that I agreed to that, but I agree. I really like the Chateau de Soto. Yeah. I wish I had a case of this. Let's uh, let's get in touch. Let's let's figure out how to get in touch with uh, with Courting Hill Vineyard and order order each other cases of Chateau de Soto. Do you remember when we did live shows at, at wineries and how much fun that was? That was great. I drank so much mm-hmm. wine that night. God, we got we got fucked up at the winery shows. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. Adam, I've rolled a two. So we are we're in the rarefied air of square 20. It's a regular episode. You're also setting me up to roll a one. Yeah, pregnant with negative consequence possibilities. Pregnant with negative consequence. Yeah. That's my mom. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, if boy. you like the consequences of the greatest generation, you'll want to see this show continue. Mm. I think the the best way to make that possible is by going to maximumfund.org slash join, getting on a monthly program. Yeah. Supporting the greatest generation, the greatest discovery, and the hit war movie podcast Friendly Fire. That would be awesome. Maximum Fund makes it totally discreet. Uh, your gift arrives in unlabeled packaging. <laughs> The the link to the bonus feed, totally anonymized. Yeah, it's marked not Star Trek podcast. Right, and that you definitely do not want a box that says Star Trek podcast on your porch for any length of time. New, new, new. What would the neighbors think? We got to thank our buddy Adam Ragusia who made all of the custom theme music for the show. We are keeping our fingers crossed that he is willing and able to make some music for future versions of the greatest generation because we only have 20 episodes left of uh, deep space nine we might need new music based on another beloved seven season series of star trek soon we really need the friends of desoto to bring the pressure to bear on adam ragusea here yeah we are totally (laughs) fucked without theme and interstitial music for for a show that a lot of people want for some reason for some reason what people want us to do the greatest generation star trek voyager if you want that we're gonna need the music to match yeah yeah and and one thing we want to do for a guy that has given (laughs) lots of money and unbelievably generous support to our show is you know make him feel some pressure make him feel 
the sort of Damocles hanging over him. Yeah. Annoy him on social media. Much love to Adam Ragusea. Uh, much love to Billy Tilly Jr., one of the best friends at DeSoto. For years and years, he's the guy who runs the social media account for The Greatest Generation. You know it as at Greatest Trek on both Instagram and Twitter. I mean, do we have an official page on Facebook? Not one that you and I go to. No, we've... Because uh, you and I are not on Facebook, and we encourage everyone to leave it. We deleted our accounts. We deleted everything that we had on Facebook. And uh, as far as we know, it's all gone. I know that Facebook is a little bit shady and sometimes doesn't comply with people's deletion requests, but yeah... Uh, We've said it before, if any friend of DeSoto sets up a chat room or anything else on the internet as a result of leaving Facebook, we will shout it out on The Greatest Generation. So set up a life raft and we will make it known to the friends of DeSoto. Holler at your boys. We want want that community. Because the community, the, the Facebook community of Friends of DeSoto is like something that is so special and great. And we don't... There are Miriam communities on Facebook for Friends of DeSoto. (laughs) Miriam communities. (laughs) Come on, Ben. That calls back a a great. That calls back a fun reference a couple episodes ago. I can't remember those kinds of things. I'm. I'm. I've got less than half of a bottle of wine in front of me. You know. Yeah, I'm pretty. I'm pretty smushed. The the. This is great. Did you take your Brode, Ben? Oh shit, dog. Let me get a Brode. You gotta take your Brode. I'm going it down with a nice swig of my Chateau de Soto here. Gotta take our drinking vitamins on The Greatest Generation. This, of course, not being branded content. Uh, but we are we are wholehearted supporters of the Broad Company of drinking vitamins. Yeah. Saved our lives several times over. Yeah. Is that it? We've thanked Adam Ragusea. We've thanked Bill Tilly. We've thanked the best friends of DeSoto who support the show. We've recommended people not use an evil social media company. What else is there, man? We just gotta thank them and wrap get the up. fuck out of here. With that, we'll be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Deep Space Nine and an episode of The Greatest Generation that isn't gonna give you any spoiler alerts. <laughs> wow. It's like a war movie episode. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. That's what it sounds like. That's a reference to the hit war movie podcast, Friendly Fire. See, um, I'm trying to to integrate them. Cross-promotion, cross-branding. I'm trying to put the stamen of one show into the uh, thing that's not the stamen, like the bee, the the bumblebee of the other (laughs) show. Mm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. That's how that works. Sex is so hard for flowers, man. (laughs) And podcasts.
69, dudes! <sighs> MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.